0: Hi, this is Cliff Grigo for the picture-poems.com website and the circle in the square. Thanks for tuning in. I wanted to try something new this morning. This is a dialogue tape. And uh, I'm preparing for tomorrow, of what I call Trinity Day, Trinity Day. And that's coming out of that uh, sound poem. Uh, piece that I did uh, last season, and uh, it's, for many reasons, I think that uh, 1945, July the 16th, at precisely 5.30 natural time, I believe, in the morning, when the first uh, plutonium implosion bomb was detonated and worked and it took the whole universe perhaps uh, by surprise. Well, uh, to be very quick and very brief, why that in my view is so significant is that perhaps you've heard of the shift of moving from the Holocene, that literally means the present era, into the Anthropocene or Anthropocene, um, the age of uh, where humankind or man becomes the dominant formative geologic, not just natural, but geologic force on Earth. That transition, now widely accepted by the scientific community, in my view, well, the geologists say, always put a a so-called, it's a beautiful term, a golden spike to to mark an epoch. And uh, um, my golden spike, so you have to, debate and discuss and dialogue, all very different processes, uh, what is the appropriate place? What is the appropriate time? Well, uh, my vote would go for exactly Trinity Day. Why? Uh, Because um, that's when uh, humanity entered not just the nuclear age, that's an ugly expression. I always say poetically, if there were angels, if there are angels, um, they would all shed tears on that day for they would see that from the perspective of the entire universe that we here on earth, all brothers and sisters here on earth, um, uh, have taken the wrong path. To almost assured, as Carl Sagan put it, uh, 1% probability of not doing that, of self destruction from the broad view in terms of time and space. So you're looking at our civilization from another civilization way out there, out on the out, out, out back, that has survived the discovery invention. Of uh, nuclear death and destruction. And a lot of things could be said about that, and I don't want that to become our main theme, but it's important. Um, The title of our um, dialogue this morning is Thought, Consciousness, and Eco Anxiety. Let that sink in. Well, we're familiar with thought and consciousness. So that's a very wide circle. So we're looking at uh, now for the moment, forget about eco-anxiety. Let's be anxious about nuclear weapons. um, As for uh, my entire lifetime, uh, that's been the state of the world. And it uh, waxes and wanes. It all depends on... Uh, the wars, the power and structure, political dysfunction, and the rest of it. Um, but for the philosophically, logically uh, inclined, um, Carl Sagan, in my view, was right. So, from the broad view, David Bohm, the great physicist uh, scientist who was a student of Oppenheimer, who was the main scientific uh, coordinator of the uh, Trinity Project. He actually came up with the name, referring to a poem of John Dunn's. Better my heart, three-person God. Well, at that moment, that's where I would place the golden spike, because that not only for the first time, uh, just like the iridium that marks the uh, great extinction theoretically 65 million years ago when the dinosaurs went extinct and mammals were given their chance on our wonderful planet Earth. Well, the iridium marks uh, is uh, hypothetically, theoretically, uh, from the asteroid 10 kilometers in diameter that slammed into Mexico down there someplace and spewed up so much uh, material into the atmosphere uh, in so much heat that it uh, basically fried most of the larger life forms on Earth. So that's 65 million years ago. Well, in a similar way, the more than 2,000 nuclear tests, atmospheric tests, that took place, just in recent memory, Well, uh, that has left a residue which uh, human beings, if they are still there and with a viable scientific culture 2,000 years from now, 10,000 years ago, a million years from now, we can dig down to and find that precise layer when we started to do that. Just like uh, plastic pollution, they'll be able to dig down to that layer and say, aha, what were they up to? Well... Plastic and um, nuclear isotopes. Well, it's also the moment, in my view, that um, you could almost say that Hitler won the war because uh, um, it's the moment because of the uh, secrecy involved in the security state that co-evolved with it. Can I use that word? That's when we lost our democracy. That didn't happen with the recent election of uh, proto-authoritarian powers in Brazil, uh, Italy, and North America. But it started in a very dramatic, radical way in 1945 and before. Don't forget, I always think it's a striking detail, the totally inept uh, president, what was his name, who came in after Roosevelt, uh, yes, Truman. He left a legacy of uh, death and terror everywhere. Well, he didn't even know of the existence of the Manhattan Project that gave us the gadget and the Trinity test. July the 16th, 1945. 5.30 in the morning. So just Jane, that is a radical divide in our universe. He didn't even know of the existence of the bomb. And yet had to make the political decision to use it. 85% of the scientists who developed it were against using it after they saw the Trinity test. What that thinking? So Eco anxiety a kind of Weltschmidt of world suffering, as they say in German. So, let's start over again, thought, consciousness, and eco-anxiety. Well, and one of our main tools that we have in the circle of dialogue, and sometimes I call it a double circle because I've noticed that it's very helpful to take an event, a documentary, a problem, a book, a poem, say like the Trinity test, and use it as a mirror of consciousness. And what we're generally looking at is our ignorance of, to say it very briefly, the destructive nature of thought and consciousness. So let me do that. Uh, We're going to be talking about um, climate crisis, climate disruption, climate emergency. (laughs) There are many different uh, memes, hashtag, uh, adjectives composite nouns circulating in what I would call the cloud of collective consciousness in the very superficial sense but for me it's a real energy just like the weather like I'm looking out I'm still sitting in my uh, tent it's a little bit cool this morning So the double circle and the out the that one of the circles works as a mirror. So we're just looking at it. So let's move away now from Trinity, but mark that date, the sixteenth of July. Well there's a lot to be anxious about. Let me do that one little miniature. Uh, How does it go? Right action in the face of runaway climate change. So don't forget the spirit of the miniature as an art form. It's part poem. It's part music. It's part sound poem. It's part aphorism. uh, It's part dance. It's part, uh, as you say in the uh, yoga tradition, a sutra. Uh, It's like a quartz crystal that we cut and polish and and work on and carry in our pockets and then pick up and meditate on and constantly uh, refining it down to essence. So there are always questions. Right action, that's ethical action, right action in the face of of runaway climate change. So there's a lot just in that first breath or phrase. Right action? Well, maybe you're not concerned about right action. like Most artists or musicians or poets aren't by definition because uh, art and music, especially music in the current era, especially art music, has nothing to do with the world, basically. Um, It's uh, highly in the negative sense, abstracted art form that's basically uh, surfing on the greatness going all the way back 300 years ago of the Western tradition, and is rather lost in my view. That's why it doesn't have any real life energy to it, Alam vital. So right action ethics. That's always going to be about stuff we don't want to do. Ethics is only about things we don't want to do. The difficulty of it. Otherwise we wouldn't give them attention. And runaway. Well that's a scientific term. and That you've reached a tipping point And it's out of human control. It will... Uh, naturally find balance what we've done to the climate, but we might not be around to witness it. But of course, that's not a fact. That's a way of looking, a theory. But those two always go together, fact and theory. So right action in the face of runaway climate change. There's a lot in that phrase that's a question. So don't agree with it, but just we hold it in our mind in the the center of the dialogue circle. And then it goes on, the root cause of climate change isn't carbon. That's a rhetorical phrase. Obviously, carbon is the primary cause. I just sent out yesterday one of those cliff cards with a summary of No Your Mountain Facts. And I keep track of uh, uh, the parts per million of the Great Keeling Curve. It's only been around since 1958. So that's some 13 years after our golden spike. Things are happening very, very quickly. That's enough for eco-anxiety, any kind of anxiety, that there's so little um, (coughs) rhythm and constancy and uh, rootedness and Western style uh, contemporary um, society. There's a kind of techno-determinism that can be done and therefore it should be done even if it means our own self-destruction. That's basically the um, high-tech Ayn Rand, um, Silicon Valley, Facebook, Google, Twitter view of the universe. So the root cause of climate change is in carbon. So just consider it. It's the destructive, divisive nature of thought itself. Now let that sink in. Okay, so now we're in a vastly wider circle. And that's the whole point of this dialogue tape. So imagine now we're, we're getting geared together, sitting around the morning campfire up here at Heartbreak Meadows, and we're going to uh, go up and see firsthand with our boots and um, breath, the unraveling of wilderness that's happening right before our eyes if we learn to read it like a book. If you don't read German or Dutch, or Italian, or Greek, or whatever language, and somebody gives you a book, well, you're not gonna be able to do much with it. It just looks like you can admire the beauty of the script. Uh, But if you're serious, and you needed to find out what's in that book, the mysteries of eco-anxiety say, well, then you have to learn the language, right? And uh, nature is no different. It's speaking to us in this language that we don't even listen to. The plants, every single species is telling us a story. And we don't slow down enough even to look. And so no wonder we're not only full of eco, uh, I was going to say ecocide which we are, destruction of our own habitat as a whole, but eco-anxiety. Yeah, we're overusing the preface eco, that just means house, economy. So the uh, finances of a household, but now for the entire earth, isn't that lovely? So we have eco music, eco (laughs) And don't forget I have accused um, or suggested, without attacking people, That's not a part of dialogue. But that doesn't mean you're not fierce. And don't have the energy of outrage. That doesn't mean that this is some hunky-dory woo-woo kind of thing where you all sit down and sing kumbaya and pray to the Lord that things will get better because it's not going to happen that way. So we're starting over again, and we're getting ready to do a journey on foot, and we're gonna find out for ourselves directly. Well, that's what I'm asking us to do. I'm talking to myself as well. This becoming aware of the primary ignorance. In the time of Socrates, the basic ignorance was always considered in terms of knowledge of the self. Well, we're saying that, okay, well, that's all well and good. But we're getting out of Plato's cave and the primary ignorance is not that. The primary ignorance is of the whole of thought and consciousness itself. That there's something inherently destructive in thought which can be totally otherwise but only in awareness. If we do not look from that wider circle then eco-anxiety will seem almost inevitable. But if we do look from the wider circle, I would suggest that it's nothing at all. So how is that possible? Let's keep going with that little sutra. So right action in the face of runaway climate change. So we got that. We all agree there's something going on that if it hasn't already, it's likely to spin out of control, that the loss of snow uh, means less reflectivity, which means more warming, which means more uh, rising temperatures, which means more uh, uh, loss of reflectivity. You see a devil's loop, a vicious cycle, a positive feedback in formal terms. It's what Jimi Hendrix did with his guitar so beautifully that the sound feeds back on itself and runs away in amplification until you turn down the knob. (laughs) So the root cause isn't carbon, we got that. We know carbon's absolutely crucial. Just in the time I've been working in the wow as it's gone from 385, I have to keep updating these cliff cards and now it's above 415. Uh, Just in, say, you're 30 years old and listening to this tape, well, just in your lifetime, carbon has almost, uh, uh, with all the um, UN climate uh, uh, panels and the rest of it, it's increased by 65%, just carbon. So we're obviously not doing anything to um, address the problem at the physical level but I'm saying that the cause is not at the physical level. So if we just remain at the physical level, you're going to be doing something that will uh, ultimately fail and therefore eco-anxiety seems almost inevitable. These things s- seem to come and go in waves. Well, I can remember uh protesting and writing about um going back to nuclear weapons, the first uh, cruise missiles, uh which was a first strike aggressive uh a violent weapon beyond compare that we still use and uh produce. Um that was all the way back when uh, Ronald Reagan first uh, <laughs> um commandeer the white house took down the solar panels and all the rest of it well um there was a massive resistance to that in europe that those weapons people can see the violence of u.s empire again frequently in dialogue you'll see these expanding contracting circles And I frequently say to comrades, brothers and sisters in dialogue, that's all there is. It's in a way, I almost said not possible, but that's a question I don't know. It's not possible to get out of these circles. Like that beautiful Rilke poem I often do for people. Ich lebe mein Leben in wachsenden Ringen. I live my life and growing rings that ring out over the things of the world. world, That expand in rings. So one of the first things to get out of eco-anxiety is simply to take a larger point of view. Go to nature. Come up to a place like Heartbreak Meadows and go higher still and as you go I always say when you go up into the mountains with every step, a kind of prayer, you go up higher and higher, time slows down and lets more space flow in. Well, that's very, very healing in the spiritual philosophical sense. No medication needed. Now, I started with saying I wanted to try something different this morning. We're almost finished with our sutra. It'll be coming up, our miniature. um, There's a, uh, a recording I want us to listen to. And it's of a little article that just came out this morning on uh, eco-anxiety, published uh, by EcoWatch. That's... Uh, Twitter handle and website for quite good environmental climate change coverage, comes out every day, and it's just a little article, it runs about five minutes when you listen to it. And again, I greatly encourage people to explore the world of climate crisis with the ear. I frequently will listen to a, um a tape like this is coming up 5 minutes and I'll just sit and uh, and do my yoga very still and I listen to it and I frequently listen to it 3 or 4 or 5 times because I want to understand the language the rhythm or lack thereof how it breathes and with the arguments the way of thinking really and especially Let those sink and especially how it almost invariably misses uh, the fact of the ignorance of um, the destructive nature of thought. So really, uh, I would say that that's my main theme, that ignorance. And to become aware of that, I think it can only be done together. And as David Bohm pointed out that uh, he believed in Krishnamurti to a certain extent as well, um, that it can only be done in dialogue. In dialogue, um, it's like uh, Henry David Thoreau would say, quoted by John Cage, music is continuous, it is only we who turn away, which is true and you could also say dialogue is continuous it is only we who turn away which i also think would suggest is true so dialogue internally even when one is going solo in the wilderness or wherever is always ongoing so, we're observing the movements of thought without trying to change anything. That's Alexander Technique. That's a tradition of Karma Yoga, going all the way back to uh, Patanjali, the Yoga Sutra, highly recommended. No one knows how old that is, but that's a very great tradition. It's one of the greatest uh, world traditions is at least two millennia old. So it's going back at, uh, uh, to the time of the Buddha. So we're looking at that. So how does the sutra go, so we've got that, mm-hmm. runaway climate change, so that's Watch that like a hawk. What are the signs of runaway climate change? Around here, it's, uh, one of them is wildfire, drying, a hotter, drier climate, the wind changes, the change in the jet stream. There are any many Then, especially what the plants are telling us. But obviously, if we don't know plant language, we're going to have a hard time figuring that out. Unless we suddenly wake up and the forest next door has been clear-cut. And then we say, hey, gee, what the hell is going on here? Um, But the plants are talking to us all the time if we're willing to listen, just like music is doing that. And so, you know, there are multiple ignorances, can we say that? The ignorance of sound and music of the current era, even though we have a technology beyond all compare, is absolutely breathtaking. That's what Silicon Valley can't figure out. Um, But the level of musical ignorance is um, tragic. And it's everywhere, including professional musicians. So this nested circles, circle within circles, like the drops in a quiet pond. You throw a rock in and it rings out these marvelous waves that go out. And they commingle and interpenetrate and as if they go right through each other and ringing out. And where do they stop? Oh, we don't know. Well, that's a very good image for thought and consciousness. So we're looking at this ignorance with all our energy. That's the key point. You can't just play with it uh, because then it'll probably do more harm than good. Like Alexander Technique can easily do more harm than good if you just become self-conscious of your tension. You have to somehow transcend that. Just as Krishnamurti can become very destructive, that um, I call them stick up the bums, you know, that you become so rigid uh, um, because you think you haven't uh, achieved the transformation that uh, Krishnamurti was always talking about. So we're stepping back from that. We're in a real crisis, and the root cause is isn't carbon. And so we're saying it's thought. Now, what we can do with that? Well, the wonderful uh, Greta Thunberg. I wish I could pronounce the uh, Swedish uh, properly. A pure spirit, if ever there one was one. Is uh, stopping the whole world dead in its tracks. But at the same time, making a very profound uh, mistake. uh, Because obviously she's not addressing the whole of thought and consciousness. And is in no way cognizant of those who have done so uh, before her. So uh, she recently reintroduced the image of the house on fire. Well, that's coming from obviously the Buddha, and that's a part of the Buddha, Buddhist Dharma. And um, we don't have to go into that. But Krishnamurti used to say that all the time. What do you do when the house is on fire? <laughs> right. And uh, um, but. Kushnamurti's house on fire is consciousness. And I think he was right. Because if you step back from it, just like we're doing here with our wilderness, we're going higher and higher and higher. So time slows down. All this thing, and we're in this runaway technology that our devices are taking over our being. And many people are capitalizing on that as we speak our devices are taking over our being but we we don't have them with us so we're going higher and higher and we're talking we're seeing we're looking at this problem yes the house is on fire but it's that house of consciousness not just climate crisis you see that's the key difference And if you go down into the world, it's a part of the sutra, but I'm jumping ahead. And we're coming to our new thing. So say, Cliff, get on with it. Okay. Our little recording of five minutes is coming up on eco-anxiety. Well... We're looking at that. And that looking, alone and together, dialogue is continuous. It's only we who turn away. Music is continuous. This is only we. What a beautiful way of being. That music is always with you. Dialogue is always with you. It's a way of saying that love is always with you. So there's no resistance, the destructive nature of thought. So that's a question, is thought destructive? And then it goes on. I wrongly divide myself from the world. There it is. That inherent in thought is making the mistake of wrongly dividing myself from the world around me. This world, draw it as a circle, it's the world of everything not thought. The world of nature. But is consciousness just something in the brain? No. Consciousness in this view is something vastly beyond thought itself. It's an in the energy of the universe that's manifesting in us. To go into that in detail would take us too far astray, but that's where the uh, high-tech gurus have gone totally wrong with so-called artificial intelligence, AI. As Bohm pointed out, and I frequently uh, echo, it's really mechanical thought what computers do because it's always inherently has to be based on the past no matter how much data you feed into intelligence is something totally different that has nothing to do with memory and time so that's a very wide circle and it's perhaps what Gregory Bateson meant when he said where angels fear to tread Because you're taking it so far that you really can't say anything about it. Well, that's good. So, I wrongly divide myself from the world. Now, I'm asking, is that true? Then it goes on. Everything other, I either ignore or fear or seek to control or destroy. Now that kind of sums up the current hate and violence of the current era in a single phrase, right? Everything other, that means everything that I don't identify with. Now is that identification necessary? Absolutely not. That's a part of the ignorance of thought as a mechanical movement of energy. So you're not trying to change thought. You're just simply becoming aware of it. Just like when we come out here, we're learning to read the plants, to use them, to learn from them, to love them, and to see how they're suffering. With a hotter, drier climate, it's just heartbreaking because you can see they can't breathe. They are transpiring. That's how they they can do nothing else except open their mouths, their little stomata, That's where they absorb carbon to turn into, through the miracle of photosynthesis, turn that into their sugars. And in doing that, they release water. So they get caught in a double bind. They need food, but if they eat, in our terms, they're going to lose water. And if it's a hotter, drier climate... Um, they're going to have great difficulty doing that because they don't have enough water to do it, so they can simply starve to death. Well, evidence of that is now everywhere. So everything other I either fear or ignore, That's why we need border walls or seek to control or destroy. That's why we point our nuclear weapons at a place like Iran. The Persian culture is one of the greatest world cultures, as the Greeks. (laughs) Well. We're bringing that all to a stop, right here, right now. So in the dialogue, we're we're asking, is that true? Yeah, we're doing something like that. So the main question we're addressing is not climate. I insist on that in the dialogue. It's not climate, it's conflict. Because in our relationships, conflict is, uh, the, if we're looking at it, the uh, relationship is a natural historian, that's the primary feature in the current era is conflict, it's everywhere. And it's not just politics, that's self-evident, but it's also in the arts, it's in science. So in the longer version of the sutra, I wrap it up with this thing that for me is is vitally important about the geometry of life. That should be a whole little monograph, book. The geometry of life is not two guns pointed at each other. It's a circle. We're all brothers and sisters, you and I, the rock, the river, the tree, the sky. So if you were coming from the Franciscan tradition, St. Francis, the order for the Franciscans to put it in perspective, that's when (laughs) the Franciscans were destroyed by Francis himself was uh, 1223, if I remember right, 1223, 1224, yes, I'm a student of St. Francis. And uh, his great mistake is that he um, uh, went with the Catholic Church for protection. Um, But uh, there's a great deal we can learn from the Franciscans. Poverty, humility, simplicity. Imagine having a political leader that was like that. Is that the Pope? (laughs) Well... So that's a totally different uh, way of being. So in my view, it is wrong ethically to enter the geometry of life worldview of two guns pointed at each other. It's the difference between Uh, For logicians, it's the difference between uh, debate and dialogue. In debate, there are clear winners and losers. And in some very limited uh, cases, that might be appropriate. If we're debating uh, what might be the best metal to make a trombone out of, well, we can debate that and demonstrate different things. But when it comes to more subtle things like the ignorance of thought and consciousness, that doesn't work. We're looking at it together. And the main thing we're looking at is our assumptions, hypotheses, theories, beliefs, attachments, that uh, are maps of the world, our worldview, our ideologies. Uh, we're looking at that alone and together. Dialogue is continuous. It's only we who turn away. So eco-anxiety Well in the circle of life how does that work? The last phrase of the sutra is the most important. Our war against nature so that's a question are we at war with nature? If I walk from here to get provisions or say, ride ride my mountain bike. That's an entire day's journey. And the people I meet and talk to, many dozens along the way, it's wonderful. Well, 98% of those loving, beautiful people do not think we are at war with nature. That's just, I just shrug my shoulders and say, well, that's just a part of the world view of the present dominant culture. But there's no concern about this primary problem of the ignorance of thought and consciousness. So in a deeper sense, uh, it's almost as if you're a different species of being. The path you walk is just in how you walk. And everything that's meaningful is so radically different. So this... Our war with nature, I'm saying, yes, we are at war with nature, our war against ourselves, so that should be self evident, at every single level from husband, wife, children, parents, teacher, student, country, at every single level. And what you especially don't want are ideologies that are by themselves inherently violent. Like all organized religions are by definition. Violent, because of their rigidity and the tendency of thought and ignorance identifies with belief. Well, there's nothing more violent than just say beliefs that are almost identical: Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. They all arose from uh, ecological, uh, eco side basically, and uh, you know we're always taught that's the cradle of civilization. Well, that. Uh, just read Gilgamesh that uh, what that about is the, is about the loss of uh, the forest, of cutting down the cedar forest. Let's loosen up for a little bit. I recently, because so, I'm so concerned about Iran, so I study and watch documentaries. And if you see the great mountain range to, let's see, what is that, to the north of Tehran, a very great world city that just because somebody farted on a golf course could be destroyed with nuclear weapons, right? That's how bad it's become. Where's Dr. Strangelove when you need him? Everybody should watch that film, Dr. Strangelove. That's one of the greatest films of all time. Well, those mountains to the north of Tehran were almost certainly conifer forests. And now there's, when you watch the documentary, it's good. God, what has happened to this place? And you get climate change on a micro to macro level, a total desiccation, a drying out of the Middle East. Well, that's where these um, so-called world-organized uh, religions, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, comes from, ecological devastation. They were predated by Zoroastrian, that's more the Persian um, belief uh, system, with a very black and white uh, good and evil. So if you want the metaphysics, just watch, uh, what's it called, Star Wars. So the Darth Vader is Angu Mainu, and the other one is Hora Mazda. (laughs) But it's good and evil, and they actually exist and evil is active. I say that's not true. Um, But both those, all three of those religions are nearly identical with um, Zoroastrianism that predates it by at least a millennium. And is also coming out of near ecocide, ecological collapse. So, That in a nutshell, and those legacies still go on, those destructive ways of thinking. So, our war against nature, against ourselves, only ends with a revolution of thought and consciousness. So, that's what we're doing right now. That's the widest circle in the dialogue, and after that we're simply silent. Like tomorrow, for to mark the Trinity day, should be a day of deep, profound silence. That what have we done to the world? That is a house on fire. So say there were no climate crisis. If nuclear weapons in Carl Sagan's prophecy, a 1% probability. Say in a theater, the, like the Greeks voted with white and black pebbles, there are 99 black pebbles and one white one, and you pass those out in a circle, and then you pick at random somebody to hold up their pebble. Well... of the time it's going to be a black pebble. And the white one is the only one with a future. So why wouldn't uh, a young person, even in the time of Ronald Reagan, say, gee, there's no future. Those waves come and go, especially in pop culture, Rage Against the Machine, Heavy Metal, and all the rest of it. No future. Well, so we're stepping back from that eco-anxiety. Now, let's listen, I suggest, to our five-minute article from EcoWatch on eco-anxiety.
1: Do the daily climate change headlines make you feel stressed? afraid or powerless? If so, you're certainly not alone. A growing number of people report feelings of loss, grief, worry and despair amid news that climate change is making natural disasters like hurricanes and wildfires worse and more common that polar ice is melting faster than we thought and that we only have 12 years to prevent the most catastrophic effects of climate change. The American Psychological Association has come up with a term for these resounding chronic psychological consequences related to how we process the climate crisis, eco-anxiety. Eco-anxiety which the APA describes as a chronic fear of environmental doom, isn't listed anywhere in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the handbook for diagnosing mental illnesses, but it has found its way into pop culture. In an interview with the Sunday Times promoting his new solo album, Radiohead frontman Tom York said that uncertainty stemming from societal issues like climate change is contributing to a rise in people's anxiety and depression around the world. And a recent episode of the popular hippo drama Big Little Lies showed that children can be just as vulnerable to eco-anxiety as adults. As the nine-year-old daughter of one of the main characters has a panic attack at school and faints in a closet following a lesson about climate change. Her class is evidently talking about climate change, and she's gotten the message that we're doomed. A school psychiatrist tells the main character afterward. A teacher adds that it's important for the children to deconstruct climate change so they can process it. Pop culture's absorption of eco-anxiety shouldn't come as a surprise. It's capturing the zeitgeist of the US under an administration that actively denies climate science despite widespread public belief. In December 2018, A Yale University survey found that nearly 70% of Americans are at least somewhat worried about climate change, 49% feel afraid and 51% said they feel helpless. And a recent Harvard Public Opinion Project report found that 45% of young Americans believe climate change is a crisis and demands urgent action. One 2018 poll found that three-quarters of millennials report that consuming negative media about climate change has had an impact on their mental health. Even climate scientists and writers are feeling the effects of confronting the existential threat of climate change every day. Peter Cormus, a climate scientist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, says that climate grief strikes unexpectedly, even on the job. In a millisecond, without warning, I'll feel my throat clench, my eyes sting, and my stomach drop as though the earth below me is falling away. Call Miss Roten. Yes! Magazine. During these moments... I feel with excruciating clarity everything that we are losing, but also connection and love for those things. Meteorologist and climate journalist Eric Holthouse said he often finds himself alternating between soul-crushing despair and headstrong hope, and that his climate change blues have affected his personal relationships and led him to seek therapy. Unfortunately, studies have shown that fear is not always a good motivator and, especially in the case of an issue as large as climate change, it does not inspire genuine personal engagement on an individual level. So what can you do to combat the symptoms of eco-anxiety? In its 69-page report on the mental health effects of climate change, The APA recommends that its practitioners support individuals' efforts to build resiliency, find personal meaning, and maintain connections to place and one's culture, among other things. Climate-centric publication Grist recommends turning apathy into action by doing what you can on a personal level within your community. University of Bath teaching fellow and member of the climate psychology alliance Caroline Hickman says that our fear and anger are natural appropriate reactions but we can't get stuck there in cases of people suffering from eco-anxiety and similar issues The hope is to find paths towards a new world shaped by a deepening understanding of our relationship with the planet and how our future is ultimately entwined with the survival of other creatures, Hickman wrote in an article for The Conversation.
0: Well, there you have it. Thanks to EcoWatch for that um, excellent uh, summary and article. Um, So... This is probably a good place to hit the pause button and then we'll start part two after a little bit of refreshment and rest.